podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Elderson, and my mate, Callum Goodall. After a very strange week of football, um, with one incredible result uh, that put a smile on all of our faces, and then one horrendous result, uh, which had me thinking about 6 nils against Reading uh, from <laughs> years ago, and, uh, and not feeling too great, really. It's one of the things, I think, that has been quite nice up until maybe the last nine months of David Moyes, is that we'd never really got tonked. And then there have been a few tonkings mixed in. And then this was the, the you know, the, the tonking to end all tonkings compared to what's happened <laughs> the, the before. It was bad. 5-0 loss against um, Fulham. We're going to talk about both uh, today. We're also going to talk about a little bit about the Freiburg game, which will be coming up by the time this comes out, because we're recording a little bit late in the week. And, um, and also just say sorry at the start of the episode for missing last week. We um, have both been a little bit under the weather recently. Uh, Cam more so than I, poor bugger. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, it was probably well timed because we missed a week where it wasn't very much exciting to talk about. Uh, went over TSC Bachkatopola and uh, a draw against Crystal Palace. Um, so we're not we're not really going to go into any any depth on that because there's been a lot that's happened since, and I'm sure people want to hear about the Fulham game, want to hear our thoughts on the Spurs game as well. So we'll launch uh, straight in there, and um, I'll, I'll come to you first, Cal. Just at the end of at the end of such a mixed week, how, how are you feeling? That the, the fan base seems to be in 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 meltdown, um, but I'm still trying to desperately hold on to to the positive vibes after Spurs. Yeah, I think so, and I think with everything we've heard with regards to the illness in the camp and stuff, and I just think you can't. It's easier said than done, right? You you can't read too much into a five 0 win, but like it was clear that a we weren't on our game and B a few one of the goals was a worldie one of the goals was in the final minutes when we'd already given oh, up he's in his Frank Lampard bag about two minutes <laughs> into the pod concede a corner concede another yeah. average goal concede uh, a worldie concede another average goal <laughs> no no don't get me wrong we were shit we were shit but I think it's one of them it's like it, there's not much value in really um over analyzing it i don't think um it kind of when i when i was thinking about prepping for the pod it, it was quite funny it kind of reminded me of being back at uni actually and and not just because west ham is shit uh <laughs> which which we were when i was at uni um but it, the two games when you look at them side by side it, it kind of felt like i was at a sort of two-part lecture series where the first part introduced a system which is Moyes let's call it Moyes and told me all the things that are in this system and then the second lecture was here's what happens when the key foundational stones of the system fall apart and society falls falls down around it and that was it it was the the second half of the Spurs game was the 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 perfect example of what a Moyes system looks like when it's carried out well and the Fulham game was yeah (laughs) when you can't do the two fundamental principles well and you can't carry them out everything topples like a like a house of cards and and that's what happened it was unfortunately for a system that's built on such small fine margins if you don't carry out the 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 core duties then you are going to be on the wrong end of a hiding and like you said generally 
Moist systems have been so resilient and, and we've done those things so well that that we haven't actually been subject to any real thrashings. And quite often we've we've when we have lost, we've been in it against some of the big te- some of the best teams. We've we've often taken it to them. But against a team like Fulham, when we were just making mistake after mistake and compounded by illness, it was almost inevitable, I think, um, that we were gonna succumb to yeah, a, a thrashing at some point. Yes. And those two key principles that you mentioned, which fell apart against Fulham, um, were on show pretty equally, I'd say, in in both halves. We had a clinic in one, maybe in the in the first half, and, and <laughs> yeah. then a clinic, clinic in the other in, in, in the second half. And that's uh, box defending, which um, for a first half where we were really under the cosh, we managed to come away uh, just 1-0 down. And, um, and clinical um, attacking on the counter, um, which we did pretty well um in the second half uh, against Spurs I think it you know it is a it is also a little bit to do with engaging at the right times off the ball we're going to talk about James Will Prowse and how important he can be to that and and assist in terms of our ability to to press against teams who are building up and be more effective at winning the ball higher up the pitch something I know fans of this podcast will have heard us talk about many times um wanting to get the ball in better areas so just that transition to the final third is so much easier for us to get players like Bowen could as whoever it is into good positions where they're actually quite good finishers and create um sorry not even create just will will we'll convert those opportunities more regularly than than they don't. Um, so let's talk about those two key things that went well and look at the first half to begin with and how even though we conceded a lot of space, a lot of um, time to Spurs on the ball and they got into the final third very regularly, we defended quite well. And I know one of the players that you wanted to focus on was uh, was Lukas Fabianski coming back into the starting lineup. Ariola obviously with a with a small injury at the moment, um, and he did quite a good job of of defending crosses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's been as much as there are strengths to have an Areola, and in terms of us potentially not going long all the time and trying to pass it out to the fullbacks and, and build up that way. Um, not that we're very good at that, but at least we try. Uh, but with Fabianski, and I think when you think of box defending, it's easy to to automatically think of Alzuma and Agurd, uh winning all their headers and stuff like that, and Sufal doing a good job of defending the back post. Um, but quite often this season, we've conceded goals that for all his strength, Ariola, whether it's a miscommunication, whether it's sort of him being reluctant to step too far off of, off of his line when defending crosses, there's kind of been a sort of very small corridor and a, a lack of responsibility, often between him and Agurd actually, of him anticipating that Agurd's going to try and head it out or clear it, uh, and Agurd thinking, hey, that's your responsibility to come and punch that or catch that. And I think in this game against Spurs... Um, it was quite clear the difference because I think there was so many times and, and I think as well it was the strengths were twofold not only because it meant that we were defending our box well with Fabianchi flying off his line and doing that sort of Superman save uh, Superman punch rather that we've that we've come to associate him with really I think for me it's a hallmark of Fabianski's game and something he's always been very good at but also I think as as you pointed out in a in a game that in the first half at least felt like it was kind of lacking that bit of edge or that bit of sort of assertiveness considering it's a London derby and and when one of our biggest rivals I think every time that Fabianski showed that sort of that commitment to really just get out there and throw himself in amongst the melee of players and be the one that rises above it and sort of sparks a counter by punching the ball out I think that sort of galvanized the team around him a bit and, and everyone seemed to step up their level and then go in and obviously sit down and receive what I can only imagine was a pretty 
pretty big telling off from Moyes at half time and, and, and it carried us through, I think. But yeah, I, I was really impressed. Um, I, I have obviously been an advocate for Ari- Ariola being in the team and I, and I do still think that in terms of pure shot stopping ability in one on one situations where reflexes are the thing that you're going to rely on, I think Ariola is the better option for that. But if if it is going to be a case of you need to keep punching crosses out of the box, because quite frankly, that is that is what was happening happening a lot in the in the Spurs game. Because another thing we did quite well in terms of our sort of uh, holding the line quite well is that we we forced them to take a lot of shots from outside the box because we weren't letting them play through as well as they have done this season in terms of short interchanges on the deck and sort of getting in behind. So they were frustrated to a sense where they would either take pop shots from out outside the box, which is something that Moyes has always been happy to concede, or he funnels it out. We, we force them to funnel out wide to Kulisevsky or someone who floats a ball into the box. And if you've got Fabianski ready to claim it every time, then then they don't pose much threat. I think in part as well, it was helped by the fact that there were certainly moments where it felt like Spurs would, were guilty of overplaying it. I think there Absolutely. was times yeah, when say. they just needed to just... the one pass too many they could have just had a shot and we probably would have conceded two or three before half time but it was it was like they were trying to play it almost like a rugby pass all the way to the end of the line on the other side of the pitch and they'd play it across and Son would be there waiting to receive it when really the central player should have just had the shot rather than trying to thread that last pass through or vice versa whether it's trying to play a final ball onto Brennan Johnson or someone like that and yeah it was I also think I just also think that you know looking at what Spurs fans were saying after the game there's there's a clear frustration for them with the fact that they don't have wingers that that are happy to hit the byline in in a lot of situations and and Spurs find themselves coming back in so much when really some one of the ways that they could threaten so easily when they get into the final third is just yeah. driving to the byline and, and and whacking cutbacks low cutbacks into into the box and they didn't do enough of that in the game they got yeah. into really positive positions often in the penalty area but then would come back out because whoever it is on, on the wing is looking to to play back into midfield rather than trying to drive and take on a 1v1 didn't really happen enough in the game um I suppose one of the things that helps us as well is we really packed the middle I thought Suchek was really impressive um in both halves uh, particularly in, in in the first half um, and we just defended really well in that area. We'll prowse all three were deeper. It's not not usual that we play like that. It's often you know very clear four two three one, but the three midfielders were all quite flat and deep. We'll prowse in the middle, um, Alvarez and Suchek either side, and we had a clear focus in the way that we pressed to try and keep them um, to the outside so they couldn't access. Um, you know, you dodgy when he's coming into the middle of the pitch. They're trying to play into into those players and then play through from there. We we did try and force them to the outside. Moy spoke about it afterwards, saying that even though you know we probably did some of the the right things in the way that we we defended and set up and, and pressed and stuff, they they are just a very good team and they did find moments where they played through us a little bit too easily. But that that comes when you've got a team that are yeah. so well drilled and, and playing so well when it comes to the sort of the build up side of the game and being able to progress through the thirds and, and access um, the final third. And then if we want to sort of transition from there to talk about the second half and what changed a little bit and maybe what what got better is a lot of people were able to notice that we were more engaged um, off off the ball. We were able to get closer to Spurs in the second half than we were in the first half. And I feel like a, a big part of that has to be freeing Ward-Prowse up to get higher up the pitch. Um, where as the advanced player, one of the key things he, he brings actually is his timing um, and his ability to, to, to go and pressurise players at the right time and create turnover opportunities. And um, he definitely did that for us a lot in, in the second half and massively helped us um, 
kind of stopped us from being camped quite so deep as we were for a lot of the first half and, and reset the game a few times and obviously creates the chance from which he, he ends up going on and scoring. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it's one of the... Yeah, one of the key strengths strengths of him playing in those more advanced roles, I think, and and in a way, it kind of highlights a weakness of his that we've seen throughout the season is when he's deployed in these deeper roles, and I think we'll probably come onto it later on. Is that when he's played more advanced, it's sort of his role out of possession is more man oriented than space oriented. So he's very good at springing onto a player when when it's obvious. Well, not necessarily obvious, but obvious to him when he needs to close down and press uh, a pass rather and, and or force a certain pass in a certain direction. Whereas when you're in deeper positions and you're defending space rather than the ball or the man, he seems to struggle more with knowing when to step out and engage to cover a lane, to intercept a pass rather than trying to force a, a duel, which is something that he's much better at. And I think, yeah, it, it speaks to a wider issue that I'm sure we'll come on to later in terms of what the best rotation or or partnership is in terms of where Suchek and Ward Prowse play. But yeah, I think he was instrumental not only in obviously um helping with the goals and uh yeah it was great to see him assist himself uh which was which was quite funny for someone like Ward Prowse uh, given all his strengths. Um but yeah I think it was it was great in terms of the goals but also in terms of setting that tone and I think that's something that we have wanted to see more of from him, I think. Um at times this season it's it's seemed like there's been a bit of a uh, absence of certain or, or just generally of team players taking the, the game by the scruff of the neck and sort of right okay well I need to be the one the leader here and I think since Rice has left there's not necessarily been a, uh, an obvious sort of on-pitch leader in terms of really yeah like I say taking charge and, and setting the tone I mean Zoom is obviously the captain but all the way back there it's hard for him to really drive drive a press forward and stuff so I think that was great and it just it took the energy levels way up and I think seeing us press more aggressively obviously is is massively beneficial in that respect but also it's it's crucial in stopping Spurs from from playing the way that they want to play because if you allow them all the time on the ball they've got so many good ball players that they're going to be able to play through your press and I mean as a side we're not the most effective generally in the press. So it's it's relatively easy compared to some of the other teams they'll come up against in the Premier League to play through us. However, by just taking a few valuable seconds away to 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 not give them as much time to choose who they want to pass it to, but instead you have to pass it to the person that we've decided that you have to pass it to because all other angles are closed off. It just meant that it sort of nullified not it didn't completely blunt their attack because obviously they were fairly dominant throughout the game, but it did limit them in terms of what they could do I think it was less in the second half a case of them overplaying and more a case of us not allowing them to play the way that they wanted to I think and then you you combine that with the fact that we were slightly more clinical on the break and okay yeah also more fortunate but we did it felt like we did make our own luck because we were we were rolling the dice Bowen was following the shots in to make sure that he can get on the end of those Ward Prowse was chancing it on the press to try and force those high turnovers in the chance that we then get the ball and then we have a chance so it was just that yeah the sort of the the commitment that wasn't there in the first half albeit both goals were pretty ugly unfortunate they both came of our own doing because we were willing to just really try and force it yeah, and it's worth also saying, you know, in classic Moyes fashion, despite their dominance, even in that first half, we probably created the best chance of the of the of the half with with Pakata right at the end. Um, yep. in, to my mind, should have 
definitely what the keeper is <laughs> yeah. uh, from 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 that opportunity. And one of the other things that I do want to discuss briefly before we move on to to Fulham is is another thing that changed from from the way that we started the game, which is. Um, Initially, Kudus up front and then Bowen moving through the middle uh, later in the match. And it's something that I think I want to talk about again when we, when we, when we talk through the yep. Fulham match is that Kudus against centre backs, he's not ready. He's no. not ready yet in the Premier League. And it was so obvious in, in the Spurs game that through that whole first period of the match, we just couldn't get out because he was getting battered in the jewels in all of the jewels he couldn't hold the ball up he couldn't and oftentimes it's not necessarily that the ball would even come to him and then he was getting beaten you know shoved off it or whatever because he's quite good his upper body strength is great he protects the ball really well low center of gravity really helps him um but more often just that his anticipation of the ball coming was not as quick as the center backs so center backs are just getting in front of him all the time um and therefore winning the ball quite easily often unopposed um and then when Boeing comes in through the middle you just see how much he's developed in that role how much better he is at that role over time playing it more often how more comfortable he is against center backs and um yeah, his his ability to to go toe to toe in the jewels, the way that he worked in the second half, really, um, it's kind of mad to say, given given the stature of the bloke, but kind of shoved the centre backs around a bit and created moments where we just were able to get into the final third. I think so much of what a striker has to do at West Ham is not necessarily just scoring goals; it's doing little things like winning throw-ins, and he did that more than Curtis was able to. So that switch, I think, really helped us. Um, and and if we want to move that straight on to, to to Fulham, I think the inverse really didn't help us against Fulham, which which <laughs> so we started the game with with Bowen up front. Probably had a pretty good first fifteen minutes. I'd say we were the better team for the first fifteen, yep. maybe twenty minutes of the game, but definitely first fifteen minutes of the game. They scored a goal that is really really terrible from 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 our perspective. Not because it didn't contain. A moment of exceptional quality from Fulham. It did. You know, Paulinho d- does really well in all aspects around that goal. Actually, wins two duels spectacularly. Gets the ball back. Plays a wonderful cross in, and, and Jimenez is able to, to head it in. And he's in better form now than he has been pretty much since his his major injury. Yeah. Um, but that it's it, it comes from such a simple moment like a, a back pass where you want your 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 defence and midfield to step two three yards minimum up the pitch they don't that gives the striker a free run it makes it an easier target for the person crossing who's under no pressure by the way it just makes it all much more possible for Fulham when it none of it really should have been him and should be offside if he's making that run because the defense is moving in the opposite um in, moving in the opposite direction but we changed after that unusual for Moyes I would say to make a reflexive change after after yep. one goal could have went through the middle and it all went to shit very quickly. <laughs> just could not maintain any flow, could not keep the ball, couldn't play through the striker at all. And um, and suddenly Fulham had a lot more control. So I think one of the things that's really clearly for me come out of the last two games is that if those two are on the pitch and you're looking for who's going to play through the middle, it, it has to be Bowen at this point, surely. Yeah, it has to be. And I think some, some fans will look at it and go, well, why is, why is Bowen ready for... Premier League centre-backs and Kudus isn't given that frame-wise they're not that dissimilar or physically they're not that dissimilar. They're both quite quick. Their their ability to make runs in behind is quite good. But I think, like you say, it just, it just comes with A, the bedding in process. I know it sounds really sort of basic, but the physicality step up is, is insane. And Bowen has been getting used to that for a while now and, and is used to it and, and knows. And the sort of the way that he uses his 
body is different. Like, yes, okay, Bowen is a lot smaller than a lot of the centre-backs, but there's a reason that he's managed to score quite a few headers this season and, and receive with his back to goal and, and roll centre-back. Because he's he's using his body in different ways, and I think this will come for Kudus. I don't I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, I think he's he's played through the centre in the Eredivisie for Ajax with to great effect. But it is just that that different style of football. Um, that and also, but it's like what, it's what I said. It's also just that extra yard of anticipation, isn't it? It's just that yeah. sharpness to to know that you need to you need to be making the run or dropping off just so much earlier now because the centre backs are going to be one of the centre backs will undoubtedly most teams in the league yeah. be coming to try and win that duel ahead of you. Yeah, no, 100%. And then I think, again, as we mentioned in a similar fashion to Wood Prowse, I think the other benefit of having Bowen up top is that he spearheads the press and out of possession, Bowen is arguably, our, I think it's not un- unreasonable to suggest that he is our best, pre- at least frontline presser in terms of the one that instigates the press and decides. Basically, if you are the person in the front line of, the press you decide you dictate which way the attack is going to go and like you either is it going to go down the left or is it going to down, go down the right because you force them on to play the pass to either side and from that way you, your defense can read which way they need to set up and whether they need to shuffle to the right or the left and I think with Bowen I think there's obviously a clear synergy throughout the whole team and he knows the pressing traps and the defense can read off that as they all stand behind him and watch which direction the play goes in with Kudus it just and and this isn't his fault, really. Um, I think it's as much a, a poor decision to to try it from Moyes. Really, is is that it's just not? It's clearly not there yet. Similar to him playing off the centre backs, like you say, it's just he's still early in his West Ham career. He's he's not. He, he all of his best stuff has come out on that right flank. So I think for him as well, it's probably slightly bewildering when he's like, wait. Why can't I just play a, a nice cross into the back post like I've been doing all season to great effect? Why do I now have to do the job that Bowen's been doing really well all season? Why are we doing this? Like, what's the point? I get it. It's like roll the dice. Something needs to give. Let's try something else. But that just to me wasn't that it wasn't the decision. And, and like you say, it turned out to to be our our downfall really. And and from there on in, it all just fell apart. Yeah, I think obviously there are a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the Fulham game. Just just lastly on that sort of striker discussion, it's worth also saying, one, that he does want to play through the middle. So I think it is important. He's, talk, he's talked about wanting to play in the number 10 position more than the number 9 position, but he, he, he has been clear about wanting to get involved in central areas as much as he can. When he's spoken in the press about where he sees himself playing, and what his best position is. So I think it's important to try and get him into those areas where possible, when possible, um, so he can find that rhythm in, in that position because I think he could be very useful for us in, in that position. But you have to do it. You have to pick your moments. You have to pick the right times. You have to pick the right games. And um, I'm not necessarily saying it was the wrong decision against Spurs. Again, a decent run. He had, what, half an hour at least in, in that role before he got moved out of it and he struggled. And even, you know, not just talking about winning jewels and stuff, he was offside a lot in the final third, just timing of yeah. the runs and stuff like that didn't, didn't come off for him. Um and then uh, where I would say it is is maybe more questionable is is a game like the Fulham game where we have gone one nil down. We're not at our best, you know. If you've got all this stuff in the media about the, the squad suffering from illness and and people not being anywhere near one hundred percent, having Bowen up top, who was probably the only player on the day who looked sharp, who looked yeah. like he was sort of at a normal level for him, he was our best player. I would say having him, like you say, with his off ball ability, leading the line, setting the tone, setting the press, just keeping that rhythm with him up there seems a bit 
seems just sensible to keep it like that rather than moving it around. I don't know whether there was a thought about us struggling on the right-hand side. We obviously struggled on the right around the goal. The, the goal comes from yeah. that side. Sufal was not having a good game. He did not have a good game against Fulham. So was it, you know, can we put Bowen out there because he's such a good defender? Um, you know, I was looking before we did this episode, I've got a piece on Bowen out in the program for the for the Wolves game um, at his defensive numbers. And it's not the perfect indicator, but compared to Premier League wingers, his defensive dual um, success rate is, I think, fourth um, of all yeah. of all Premier League wing- wingers. The, the players ahead of him would be Foden, Saka and Tavernier. Uh, I think he's 62.5%, which shows just how good he is against the ball and when he gets into duels, how good he is at winning them from a defensive perspective. So maybe there was some thought about that, getting him on that side so he could help defensively. He's quite secure on the ball in those areas, deeper areas, so maybe he could pick it up more in deeper positions and maybe win us a few free kicks or whatever. I'm sure there was some thought behind it. I don't think it was just let's switch to see if yeah, it changes yeah, yeah. something. Um, but whatever it was, it, it just didn't it didn't help at all. And I thought we got a lot worse. I don't want to keep on this for too long because I know we've spoken about it for quite a little bit. And the main topic we want to come on to is actually midfield. And you said from the Spurs game that there were some indicators there about in the second half about the, the balance between Ward-Prowse and Suchek. Um, we'll come on to that next. But the, 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 the first thing we have to discuss is it's as simple as this, guys. Edson Alvarez isn't in the squad. Just give up. Just don't, you know, you might as well just write <laughs> off. It's always we've got the abandoned fixture option. It just, it, 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 yeah. Yeah, I hard. think a forfeit's only 3 nil, isn't it? So that <laughs> actually probably would have been preferable. Just for, sorry, so bad, mate. Everyone's got the shit, so we'll just give you the three points and the three goals. Um, yeah, no, it, yeah, it was, it was stinking. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we alluded to it earlier, but the, the, overwhelming positive of Ward Prowse in that sort of eight stroke 10 position. And I mean, there's a few positives to be honest. I think in terms of his on-ball ability as well, he's much better further up the pitch when he can sort of play those sort of, those one-twos with either with Sufal, with the right back, or um, we've seen the sort of combinative play that he's had to some success with Kudus ahead of him on the right as well. Um, there's a couple of goals that we've seen come from that and sort of fizzing balls into his feet. And I think he's he's wasted deep. He doesn't he doesn't offer enough in progression at all. We've we've laboured that point so much. I don't I don't want to really touch on that one too much. But I think for for the second goal, we we watched it before um, before recording the pod, and I think the corridor that the ball is played across is just. I mean, obviously, part of it is that as we said, the defence should be. Um, they're they're so deep. The back line is so deep, but the midfield they're backpedaling because everyone was uh, misset because of Gerd's misplaced a pass into the midfield and and Kudus has lost the lost the maybe, duel, that's what speaking yeah about, and yeah. lost lost the duel. Um, and I think yeah to to a point I guess Gerd probably maybe shouldn't have played the pass. He should have been more aware of the way that the defense were lined up. But also, I kind of. I don't want to berate Agurd too much for it because we were getting absolutely battered in the air and he must have just been thinking, well, I can't be asked going long again because we've lost every duel. So I'm, no one's progressing. Ward-Prowse ain't going to progress because he doesn't want to receive it. So I'm going to I'm going to try and take the responsibility here and try and help us play through the thirds. And unfortunately, he shouldn't have to be in that position. He should, That shouldn't be him. But he's kind of just gone, well, what else can I do? And unfortunately, it leads to... Goal, yeah, I just want to. Before, I don't before think we can blame talking him about too much. on that goal, just I just wanted to say, just to add on that slightly on Agard is that I think it's really hard sometimes to go into major individual criticism because 
when you when you land with the team looking like that, his response it's all on him. It's all on his shoulders yeah. to be progressive, to be the build up engine, to be the guy who gets us from A to B. Of course, he's going to make mistakes when he's doing that yeah. because he's got so much pressure on his shoulders to be the guy that finds those balls that unlock things for us and attack. So maybe there are going to be situations. Well, not maybe. Of course, there are going to be situations where he tries things that he probably shouldn't. At times, he probably shouldn't and loses the ball. That's what happens yeah. when someone is given the, the burden of being the sort of progressor of the team. It's not really shared around and it's left to just one person. And unfortunately, it's going to be worse when that one person is a centre back because the mistakes they make are going to be much more impactful. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to blame him too much for it, but I just wanted to point out, yeah, like you said, that because of the burden lies on him, that is why this situation occurs. But if this happened last season, yes, the defence was super, super deep and it was incredibly frustrating to watch the low cutback just roll across the face of four defenders that were unable to reach it because of how deep they were. But the gaps between the defence and the midfield. Rice last season is in that position. He drop, he, he spots it, he lunges out, gets his leg in front of it and it stops the ball before it even reaches Iwobi. But obviously the ball then rolls past Iwobi because he misses it and, and lands to Willian who bends it back in across the goal. Um, but I think with Alvarez in the squad even, he, as a defensive midfielder who has played there all his career, has that spatial awareness when playing in the deeper roles as a six to know where the passing lanes are, when to intercept, when to engage and and break up that play. Even if he doesn't get it cleanly, but he just gets a toe on it and it, and it misdirects the, the path of the ball and it doesn't quite reach and it bobbles around and then a, a good toe punts it out and we're, we're back and reset again. Um, but Ward-Prowse, as I mentioned earlier, when, it's, when his defensive duties are primarily man- oriented and it's it's about springing onto whoever's the pressing trap whether it's a right back who's uncomfortable on the ball a left back rather who's uncomfortable on the ball and you want to go and force him to make a decision that he's not comfortable making or it's a center back who's not got the best ball control or his distribution's poor so you want to force him into making a pass early and then we win the second ball it's fine his decision making in that respect is really good his decision making when he's at the other end of the pitch and he's sort of defending space in around the box in this sort of zonal marking uh, when we're defending in a low block, defending the box. When you're asking Ward Prowse to zonal mark an area as a six, he ain't, he ain't got a clue. He ain't got a clue, man. Like he's just watching, the, like he just watches the ball pass through the corridor that he, the zone that he is meant to be defending. And again, it's infuriating to watch because we, we shouldn't have to watch that, but it kind of brings me to a wider point and sort of wraps up the three players that we've talked about here is that it's infuriating watching Kudus fail in the striker role. It's infuriating watching a GERD get a lot of blame for taking on a progressive responsibility that isn't, it is far too much because there should be other people in the team taking on that responsibility. And it's infuriating watching Ward Prowse play in the six and get things wrong but none of them are though are that if that makes sense so all of them are being asked to do things that are not their strengths and obviously when you rely when you ask too many players to do too many things that they're not good at it's it's eventually all going to come tumbling down like we say and i think with Ward Prowse like yes we've we've sort of berated him uh, berate's probably a bit harsh but we've criticized him for the things that he's been bad at this season but i do think there is an element of sort of 
square pegs in round holes. It's like, well, yeah, Ward Prowse can play the six technically, and Kudus probably could go up top technically, and but it doesn't mean that we should be trying to do it. And unfortunately, because of the lack of other options, someone had to deputise for Alvarez against Fulham. There's no obvious candidate, so whoever it was 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 always kind of going to struggle. But yeah, I think we've come to a point now where. I get the strengths. I, I get the sort of idea of playing Suchek more advanced because if we're going to just sit deep and try and play the long ball, especially without Antonio, and the whole way of progressing is to just win the flip down and get the second ball, then yes, there is obviously an advantage to having Suchek up there. But we only won 24% of our aerial duels against Fulham. So like at some point, like a GERD decided, you have to just go, you know what, this ain't working, let's try something else. And with Ward Prowse in the ten, there's so much upside compared to the downside of him playing in the six that I just I I, I can no longer see the logic of Suchek as the advanced and Ward Prowse as the deeper player. It, it just doesn't make sense. I know that everyone says, "Well, Suchek can't string a pass together." Four percent of Ward Prowse's passes against Fulham went into the final third. Four percent, one pass out of out of forty odd passes that he completed went into the final third. Like, if we're going to try and play on the counter one of our midfielders needs to basically every pass basically needs to be at least trying to go forward. Um, but yeah, I think only six of his 43 completed passes actually went forward. So it's no wonder that we're not going to be very effective on the counter. If the the midfielder whose sole or pr- primary responsibility is to be the progressor in that midfield partnership of Suchek and Ward Prowse is only looking forward six out of 43 times. Like that's, it's just not going to work. Yeah, and I think there are also other issues to talk about as well, aren't there? It's you know, it's not just about <coughs> square pegs and round holes, or, or not necessarily having the right players. You know, that comes from midfield building for me. I think that's one of one of the problems I would say we've had is that we haven't recruited any midfielders who who want to take responsibility on the ball and are com- comfortable or confident defenders as well. We tend to go for. Well, even looking at the targets we've we've looked, you know, like McTominay or whatever, we tend to go for these kind of upside guys who, yeah. you know, like Ward Prowse is there because he's got this like unbelievable Insane. set piece, yeah. ridiculous set piece upside. And I do understand it for a team. I think I've said this before on the pod. For a team in our position in the league with the kind of budget we have, we can't go for you know Newcastle and whoever are going to mop up a lot of the targets that we would love to. To, to have that sort of top seven area of the league probably going to steal a lot of the players that we would we would love to have and if we're in competition with them it's going to be really hard for us to get one of those players over one of those other clubs and then we can't necessarily recruit in the same way as a, as a Brighton or a Brentford because we have this idea that you know we've got to try and constantly be competing in the top eight region of the league which maybe doesn't give us in, whoever's running things there, you know, doesn't, we don't ha- have this idea that we can work with and develop talent, bringing them through from and taking risks with money on, on, on less sort of sure thing players. We try and go for players uh, who've come from the top level and maybe haven't made it at Chelsea or an Arsenal or whatever, or similar in other leagues, really, a lot of the time looking for, you know, like Bakatar or whoever who, who's done a really good job at a big club in France. Now, can we steal him and bring him over to West Ham? It's more of a sure thing than maybe recruiting from, from, from other players. Places. So I do get it why you then look for these kind of like single upside guys because it's well what we can do is we can build a team of players who like oh we've got one guy who's incredible in the air we've got one guy who's incredible at set pieces you know even like signing Dawson was kind of a reflection of that in a way wasn't it it was like 
he's not necessarily the most well-rounded, brilliant defender, but we can build a system that makes a guy who's absolutely brilliant in the air as a box defender really good for us because actually he can attack set pieces as well and that all works in tandem with with, with the way that we play. So it, I understand the way that we look to build, but because of that, we've ended up with a squad and repeatedly done this, I think, but we don't really have the kind of profile of player in the middle of the pitch who can set the tone. So I, I think that is one of the things to talk about. It's not just square pegs, round holes. It's actually that we're forced to do that a lot of the time because we don't necessarily have the players in the squad to be able to assist us in these games. Um, or a lot of the time when we need someone to take more control for us in possession, be more comfortable as a half time receiver, be more comfortable kind of dictating play. I mean, Ward Prowse is just not the guy that's going to dictate. Um, play for us and then I think secondarily as well it's worth saying you know that the, the, I don't think we help ourselves sometimes with the way that we with the shape in which we build up like we try really hard to overload the the defense we, we send so many players forward onto the last line so much of the season recently I've seen us building in like a you know 316 kind of shape mm. or, a, or a 415 like this complete evacuation of the of the center of the pitch because we know we don't have the profiles to play through in the center of the pitch we know we probably don't have a manager who's coaching playing through in the center of the pitch so actually what we're going to do is we're going to lump everyone up on the on the last line we'll have one guy in the middle and we'll look for these diagonal balls or these straight balls forward and then try and pick the ball up in the final third and, and play from there I get parts of it. One of the things that it enabled to do is it enabled us to do in the Fulham game. It enables us to do a lot of the time, and it didn't really come off for us in the best way in the Fulham match. But we get to do these things where Zuma makes a little run ten yards up the up the pitch, and then plays <laughs> a diagonal five yards up the pitch, and plays a diagonal across to to the far left hand side, or a guard tries to you know carry the ball three four yards, and then hits a diagonal out to the right side. And because we've got five up against the four, the idea is you're going to be able to draw them to one side, play to a spare man in the final third, and kind of skip out all the build up stuff in between, all the stuff that's maybe a little bit more complicated, difficult to coach difficult to get working with the level of players we have in the middle of the pitch. It's not that I don't understand what's happening there. I do understand what's happening, but there are two problems with it. One, when we do need to mix that up and play through the middle a little bit. So when you play into someone like James Ward-Prowse, A, he's not going to be adept as a half-time receiver and he's not going to dictate the, dictate the tempo kind of guy, but then he's got no one around him who he can play to. So, and that's compounding the issues he has. He's going to have to look back and just pop the ball back into centre-backs most of the time, which creates the kind of statistics that you're talking about. And then secondarily, something that I think would be so much more David Moyes' bread and butter, something that he'd be more preoccupied with, rest defence. What happens when you lose the ball? There's no one in the middle. You just like get played through like butter. It's so... Yeah easy to go through the center of the pitch and yeah you can get away with it when rice is the guy standing on his own in the middle of the pitch but no way are you going to get away with it when it's james will prowse like and same almost with, with edson alvarez yeah he's probably either going to make a tackle or foul someone and get a yellow card like that's how he's going to solve the problem for us will prowse won't get to the jewel like he just won't get there he's not quick enough to, to cover the ground in time um so you just end up getting cut through really, really far too too easily. So you have a dysfunctional build-up where you lose the ball too much and then a dysfunctional rest defense system that is not prepared to deal with situations where you lose the ball in build-up. So those two things combined are pretty um, pretty problematic. And those that, that all comes together in a, in a really sort of horrendous way in the Fulham match. And it's all the things we've been speaking about, really, which is that the in-possession side of the game at West Ham under David Moyes is very underdeveloped. 
what we have to kind of have that in tandem with when we talk about West Ham, we talk about the way the team plays, how good the team is, et cetera, et cetera, is that the other side of the game is actually really well put together. We've got really good blend of players to ex- execute that well. And yes, it goes wrong against Fulham. But when you look across the whole period, you you have to look at a game like the Fulham game as, and maybe the period in sort of the second third of the season last season as kind of anomalous compared to everything else that David Moyes has done here. Because the vast majority of the time you have people making arguments, which I understand, which the performance wasn't there, but the results are. And the results are because we do that stuff really well. That's why we're able to get results when we don't perform particularly well. Why we are able to win games like... I don't know, so many of the games this season where we've played where you thought, wow, we weren't actually that brilliant. For example, the game we started talking in this, in this podcast about, well, we weren't that great in the first half against Spurs, but we found a way to make sure it was just one, which gave us a chance in, in the second half of the match. So I think it's important to have that balance, but the in-possession stuff is, is chronic, really concerning, and really bad, and seems to be, I'm not going to say seems to be getting worse, but now that Declan Rice isn't there, it is absolutely unquestionably worse than it was when Declan Rice was there. And my biggest question is, do we have someone in on the recruitment side who's got enough welly about them to say, this needs to be fixed by recruiting this kind of player and the manager has to pick this kind of player in these kinds of games just to establish just the, the barest little bit more control with the ball so that we're not so exposed in these situations where we lose the ball in build-up because we're not very good at it. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's depressing. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I think it's, yeah, it, it's it's just frustrating, isn't it? That, like you say, I can see the merits of building this sort of, uh, yeah, sort of Frankenstein's ev- monster kind yeah of everyone's team, good yeah. at one thing but no one's good at everything kind of thing and it's it's good in moments when it works but when you can't do the one thing that you've built the whole team to do then you you have no plan b and we've we've started to see that more and more and I think yeah the the comment about the lack of rest defense I'd never actually viewed it in that context of like it makes so much sense that Moy should really focus on that because his whole thing is about not getting not giving up too many easy chances and at the minute particularly putting like you say six men on the back line and Suchek being one of them in the hope that we win the aerial duel and then play off the second ball like I said I see the logic of it but he's probably our best rest defender in terms of like in terms of what he used to offer particularly in the later days of sort of the Rice era given that Rice was constantly carrying us forward and bombing forward and trying to score goals and get in the box and turn himself, sort of advertise himself basically as a more complete box-to-box midfielder, which he ended up doing. It was Suchek was th- that was sort of shackled as a result and had to sit back and and do the sort of breaking up play and reading the passing lanes and, and stopping counters and allowing the fullbacks to get back into position so that we can settle into our defensive shape and then funnel outside and do all of that stuff. And when you've got Suchek as far advanced as he is and Ward-Prowse trying to do that job, like you say, it's, it's never going to work. And I think even before we signed Ward-Prowse, I'm pretty sure statistically he was one of the worst central midfielders in terms of getting dribbled past in the Prem. So uh, so asking him to go and do do the job of, hey, can you just stop that guy running past you? It's like, 
bro, I am not that guy. Don't get me to do that. Please, please don't get me to do that. And it's even, you know, like, even when you say, talk about being putting six on the back line, I can cope with the three one six a little bit better than I cope with the four one five. And I know that sounds strange because you'd rather have four players on the back line rather than three. But no, <clears throat> when it's the three, Alvarez is there because he drops between and it's Ward-Prowse yeah. alone in his middle and the fullbacks push. When it's the four, we're so wide. So wide. <laughs> so it's, it's Ward-Prowse alone in the middle and Zuma doing recovery defending. You'd like, it is literally not only a good hero ball with the ball, it's a good hero ball without the ball as well, because he's the yeah. only guy who's going to be comfortable in those more exposed situations. I mean, to me, like it is kind of bonkers to set up that way from, and I'm purely talking now from the defensive perspective, not in terms of how, you know, whether the buildup works, whether it helps us get up the pitch. And we've, we've spoken about how dysfunctional actually that stuff is, but just from the defensive side, which you think, David Moyes would care about it's madness it's surely madness because yeah. you just create all these situations where Will Prowse looks terrible and leaves you horrendously exposed yeah and I think as well it prompts it does prompt Zuma to then have to step out as well to try and engage way more and than he should yeah like that's it, it yeah we've seen it so many times even before we conceded we saw one where Ward Prowse had been glided past. Zuma springs out, and Willian gets in behind uh, in the gap between Sufal and Zuma, which has been a, a problem for a while now. That sort of that is where you should be targeting West Ham at the minute if you're the opposition. Uh, and thankfully for us, Willian fails to convert, and sort of Fabianski has an easy save to make that he claims. Um, but yeah, that that was a sort of glimpse of oh, okay, this could <laughs> this could all start to fall apart pretty quickly, and and obviously it did. But yeah, I think it's. Yeah, we, we've probably said enough about the Fulham game, but I think, yeah, it's not helped as well by quite a few players being out of form. And I think at the start of the season, when we were looking good, we constantly were saying every week, Zoom has been amazing, Zoom has been amazing, Zoom has been so good, Zoom has been integral to this win. And at the minute, it, it's the opposite. I think he's unfortunately just not not out at it at the minute. I think he's obviously slower. That's completely understandable, but there's ways to protect yourself and safeguard against that. You just, you change the, the approach. But at the minute, I think it's a combination of him having to cover for other people, but also like, if you'd have told me at the start of the season that you're going to have a two game stretch where Zuma doesn't win a single aerial or defensive duel, I would have said that is not going to happen. That's not Kurt Zuma. Um, but yeah, of, in the Fulham and Spurs game, zero percent success in both areas, which is is not the Zuma that we know, and absolutely not the Zuma that we need if we're going to try and uh, play ourselves out of this. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, yeah, I don't know. I think the Fulham game, like you said, it, I, I have chosen to view it as an anomaly, and I hope that, in a way, I think we've almost not needed a hiding because I think you never need a hiding, but performances have been creeping towards this I think like even games that we scraped it in like we said against Spurs we weren't great against Palace it was it was atrocious against Burnley we were pretty bad until the final 10 minutes I think a result like this has probably been on the cards against an opposition that just found a way to to exploit those weaknesses Fulham did it and I'm hoping now that this illness passes through the camp and everyone gets a bit of a reality check and goes like we need to we need to switch up here because at the minute where the direction that we're heading in is not a positive one, even though consider the season on the whole, I think the outcry following this result and sort of the fact that supposedly the season's been terrible is, is quite dramatic because really we are still in the top half and we're only three points off sixth. 
Yeah, we'll we'll come to that. I just wanted to wrap up uh, the the film game. Couple of couple of little things, um, just to sort of talk about the goals very very briefly. Obviously, Wilson scores a a wonder goal, which is great news for for Wales fans who are tuning into the pod. Um, <laughs> he's in a little bit of form, um, <clears throat> but no, I think Zuma. Yeah, like you said, is a key thing to look at. Obviously, loses the aerial draw with Adarabio. Uh, first goal should be leading the defense. Obviously, it's on all of them, but should be leading the defense to step up. They don't step up, yeah. and that's a big part of why the first goal goes in. Um, and out, outside of that, I thought Sufal had a terrible game. Really, really struggled on the on the right hand side, and then you know come to the to the to the last goal and you'd say that is just an emerson <laughs> aberration I, I i have no idea what the guy was doing um for that's a man that goal. called in requesting a sick day and got put on in a half time and was not happy yeah <laughs> um yeah terrible terrible defending so some really awful individual defensive errors um obviously to go with a performance that just had, had no fluency about it whatsoever i know we talked a lot about ward prowse in the section in midfield i also want to say thomas suchek had a really poor game as well i didn't think he played at all well um I thought at times in the second half, he tried to get to Jules more often and just got beaten uh, too too often or read the, the, the time to step out completely wrong and, and put himself in positions where you end up in sort of these irrecoverable, irrecoverable positions where he can't actually then help out uh, the midfield in the way that he needs to or help out his partner in the way that he needs to. And Will Prowse definitely does need help in those situations as we were speaking about. Um, but one maybe slight positive to take out of it is that there was a lot of news that Fornells was ill. Very strange that he started the game if he was one of these players who was worst affected by the illness. But uh, despite all of that and despite him getting hooked half time, um, I thought he played well and it was good yep. to see him have a, a have a decent game. Obviously, uh, he did make one error where he gave the ball away very cheaply on, on one occasion and, and led to a positive attacking situation for, for Fulham. But aside from that, I thought he was probably the best player in that opening 15 minutes where we had some really nice combination play on that yeah. side. Yeah. Um, and then throughout sort of the last 15 minutes of the half as well I thought he was defensively switched on we struggled a lot less um, down down that side of the defence even though both players got hooked Emma, uh, Cresswell and Fornells got hooked I didn't think the problems were really on that side of the defence I thought they were much more on the other side of the defence um, and still probably had more positive moments on the ball and, and, and settling moments on the ball than a lot of the other players Pablo so good to see him have a decent uh, performance even in a horrible game and and yeah, I think it's a strange one because like the subs we made at halftime, I'm really hoping that some of these guys that are not seeing any game time just get a little bit more opportunity to to get in the team a little bit and string any kind of rhythm together because let's face it, some of the first team boys are look, starting to look a little bit sleepy, starting to look a little bit tired and, yep. and you need to have that rotation. And it is a Moyes thing. It is a consistent issue with Moyes is that there maybe isn't enough. And then you get to a point in the season where the fixtures really do start to to... Um, kind of squash up together and there's too many of them. We have, I mean, the schedule is absurd. 11 games in whatever it was, 30 days is, is 32 days or whatever. It's just mad um, schedule for us to have to go through. But you help yourself and, and give some of these guys a little bit of time on the pitch to to get going. Your players like Corne, players like Fornells, whatever, they should be useful. I know they haven't been performing to their best level. I know they've been nowhere near what you'd expect, but I feel like giving them the minutes even in um, just here and there where you can is going to be important to getting them back anywhere near the level you need them to be at. It's very harsh to suddenly call on them when they haven't played for a month or whatever and expect an 8 out of 10. I just don't think that that's going to happen. I feel the same about Ben Johnson in a way as well. Players that just get thrown in once every Mm -hmm. three months and you expect them to be top. I just 
I don't see yeah. that happening. Um, but anyway, so that's Fulham. That's that's that, that's that I, over with. Do you want to do, yeah, want to no, do the, no, the only thing I was going to say is where has this reincarnation of Tom Gurney come from? The guy is absolutely <laughs> yeah, falling enough. out at the minute. Uh, a midfield of uh, McTominay, McGinn and, and Kearney at the Euros could be a, could be a fun one. <laughs> So let's 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 do. Uh, do you want to talk about Freiburg at all, or do you want to just dump straight into into a little bit of David Moyes' discourse to finish the pod? I know we're we're already at fifty or so, so we've got about five <laughs> minutes left on the schedule. <laughs> no, I don't think there's tons to say about Freiburg. I think, unfortunately, it's it's a far more important game than than both of us would have liked it to be. Um, I think we both thought we would have had this group wrapped up by now, and that we might be able to give some of the youngsters a chance. But we're now playing to top the group, uh, kind of a, a shootout, really. And I think it's imperative that we come out and win it because there are some good teams dropping down from the Champions League. And I think not only would we prefer not to play them, but we'd also prefer not to have two uh, two unnecessary games thrown into the schedule uh, later into the season. Yeah, I, I I I temper that a little bit and say that I'm not I'm not sure I necessarily expected us to just walk the group. I think the result against Freiburg, um, kind of maybe in a in a in a way sort of masks for me the loss against Olympia because I would have liked us to beat them, but then I didn't necessarily expect us to to win the first game against Freiburg. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we're only a point out from where I'd I'd have hoped us hope that we'd be. Um, so I I still would have seen this game as a as a as a must win given the way the group the group shaped up and hopefully we do it. It's a really good opportunity for, for this, for the squad to come off the back of a, of a terrible performance and, and terrible result to have a game immediately coming up, which is so big and, um, and has such major implications for the, for the rest of the season is, it's probably a good way to just get, allow everyone to refocus, move on quickly. Um, and hopefully we get the kind of performance we need at the moment and result we need to, to, to reinvigorate the group a little bit going into a horrible run of Premier League fixtures uh, <laughs> either side of Christmas. Um, right, let's do David Moy's discourse, a couple of minutes on it. We haven't got much time, but I do just want to say, as Cal alluded to at the end of his section on, on, the, on the Fulham game, it's just out of whack, everyone. It's just out of whack. Um, I get it. The football's not been great. We've not been our, our, the best version of ourselves. Like there have been times under David Moyes where I think we've been really, really exciting to watch. We haven't been that um, since I would say since the first international break this season. I think we had a really good start to the season, um, and since that sort of first international break, I don't think we've been amazing to 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 watch. And I don't think the performances have been incredible throughout that period. We've obviously had a couple of good ones mixed in against some of the big boys. Um, but it's not been fluent. And Moises has admitted much in, in a lot of his press conferences and stuff, saying that he really wants to get us playing better um, than, than we are at the moment. I, I think you probably need to just completely reshape the midfield to make that happen personally. Um, but yes, uh, I, I, I definitely accept an, all of that and I, I agree with all of that. But as Cal said, we're in all competitions we're still competing on all fronts with three points off sixth. Um, if you look at it on a points per, uh, per match ratio, I think it we're still joint third best ever in the PL era um, at the moment. If you're looking at it after 16 games, I think it's what, what did we say before the pod was it fourth um, for the, yeah. the entire uh, Premier League era at this point in a season. I think the one season that's, that, that creeps in above it um, is the Sam Allardyce. First half of the season, wonderful. Second half of the season, invisible. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows the one that, that, 
that I'm talking about when I say that. But because of all of that, I think the criticism and the meltdown and the, just the crazy reactions to, to what's been happening over the last few weeks are just a little bit, I think they, they look, I think if I was looking from the outside in at West Ham, I'd be saying this looks a little bit ridiculous. Look at where they are. Look at where they have been before. Um, there is an element of us being pretty close to where I'd say is, you know, where we should be, where we should be aiming to be. Uh, I think the aim for this, this group, this, this squad, this club should always be, can we compete around the fringes of the, of the top six? Can we nip in there when, when, when teams have poor seasons? Yes, we want to be the Aston Villa. I get that. We want to be at the level so that when someone drops out, we're the one that surges through it all and comes right to the top. But Villa are like way ahead of <laughs> where mm. most teams would be hoping to be in the situation of the teams that's going to compete around the, the fringes of, of that. And uh, for, 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 for where we would be for a good season competing around the fringes, it's three points. And, um, and we could still easily make that up through, through the rest of the season. So I think it's, early we're going very early on a lot of the takes um on the season so far we just have to wait a little bit and see how it pans out um because if we can continue to to get results even when we don't inspire the most confidence with our performances and given the team is kind of built to do that um then i think everyone could end up looking potentially very silly if we continue to dig into the cup competitions and and have a top half finish because for me that's west ham you want to be not fearing relegation, stable in the league so that you can take on the cup competitions and really try and compete and go as far as possible in those tournaments. And that is effectively what I view West Ham as being this season, not a team that's going to push right at the top of the table, but a team that's stable enough to to focus on the cups in a, in a positive way um, and really try and win those tournaments. And um, as much as I said, we're good at overperforming or, or getting results when we, we don't perform to our best level in the league. That for me is magnified times 10 in the cups. We're so well set up as a cup team for knockout football that I've got quite a lot of confidence about those tournaments uh, for the rest of the season. So that's where I'm at. I'll give you a couple of minutes on it. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up the show and, and come back after the next couple of games. I, honestly, I don't think there's much to add. I think you've summarised it well. I think the only other thing that I would add is that I think clearly... And, and I completely understand it. Like you said, we, we've not had as much excitement recently in terms of the quality of the football that we get to watch. Um, we, we haven't been accustomed to possession-based football since Moyes came back, but we have had some exciting games. That Leon game always sticks out in my mind. It's like the, Moyes' brand of football can produce those games, but at the minute we haven't. And, and I get that. And people are now clamouring for... A, there are people saying, oh, we need to bring in a more possession-based manager or a more positive manager. And yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm I'm all for that. I think get to the end of the season and, and then do that. I think that's fine. Moise's contract's coming to an end. He's probably taken us as far, this squad as far as he can. It represents a perfect juncture for us to just shake hands and go, thank you. It's been amazing. And if that's when we're going to hit reset, that's when we do it. I think trying to bring in a possession-based manager in the middle of a season where our ceiling is probably not that far from where we are, but the floor is potentially very, very, very lower than where we currently are. Um, yeah, trying to get a manager to come in and coach an entirely new style of football mid-season, given our fixture congestion, given that the squad overwhelmingly have been playing low-block football for two and a half years, given change here and there because we've flirted with some other stuff in between. It's a huge risk. It's a huge, huge, huge risk. And I think a lot of people could regret uh, 
pining for it too soon. I think I would happily wait till the summer. I think we're not going to go down with Moyes. It's unlikely that we'll qualify through our league position for Europe. But I said at the start of the season that that was unlikely as well because of the top seven now with Newcastle and everyone else. And then you chuck Villa into the mix and all of a sudden all eight places are full. So I think really it's just about realigning where our ceiling is. It might sound unambitious, but I think it's also just realistic. And then we can, it's much safer to readjust our, our ambitions and our goals when we've got six weeks to have a transfer window and let the coach get a preseason into them rather than just trying to ask someone in, in the middle of the season, who's going to try and coach complex issues. I mean, yeah, the idea of Graham Potter coming in and teaching him how to play potable in the middle of a season is, uh, is hilarious. Well, yeah, just on that, they, they need a transfer window. Absolutely. Cause they need to reshape the squad. Um, if you're going to bring someone in with a completely yeah. different style and if you did it in the middle of the season without the, the finances, I mean, we're on a, we're on the watch list, aren't we? For financial fair play. So there's no money to, to, to do it yeah. right now. Um, you'd, you'd wreck squad harmony anyway, because, you know, certain, certain players just wouldn't be able to hack it. I'm sorry. Like there's certain guys that play week in, week out <laughs> that just would not be playing under other no. managers. Um, and they're quite important. They're probably on decent wages. Uh, and I'd say they're senior squad members. And I'm not sure what happens if you completely upend all of that without any idea of where you're sending them to or where they're moving on to or whatever. I think it would be kind of bonkers. And, um, and maybe that's also, you know, we're coming to the end of the season. Maybe that's also where we slightly disagree. I, I would be happy potentially to hit reset on it, dependent on where we are at the end of the season. Obviously, at this point, we could still be coming away from the season having won a, won a trophy even, yeah. um, and, and that would change things. And, and we could still be coming away from the season having competed in the, in the top eight region of the league, top seven region of the league, where it's you know that's, that would be a very good West Ham season, in my humble opinion, uh, yeah. in which case I'd be all up for, for keeping the manager on. Um, but one thing I do just want to say lastly on this is that I went and rewatched a couple of, of old, you know, just I was like on two and a half times speed, just rewatching a couple of old West Ham games. God, the difference having someone like Mikel Antonio up front when he was a few years younger makes to a David Moyes mm. team is just crazy. Like, and, and, and not just in terms of results, but actually in terms of like the general excitement of the football as well. When you've got yeah. Antonio just battering a duel, bringing the ball down, going down the wing and running 40 yards, cutting back inside <laughs> that player and whipping the ball into the box. It's quite exciting to watch. Yeah. And we just don't really have that now. And I think that's one of the really big things that, that we miss is, a, is, a, is that kind of elite, physical, nasty presence at the top end of the pitch. I'm even thinking that before that with Arnautovic when Moyes was here, that was exciting enough. Yeah, we weren't easy on the eye, but you had that brutish, nasty approach up front where everyone could get behind it because it was just exciting to watch a striker bully centre-backs. Um, and I think that's one of the things we miss in terms of the excitement factor right now is that we're trying to make things work with smaller guys <laughs> up front who, yeah, I'm going to be able to do it in the odd game. Kudos to Jared Bowen that that didn't work in the way that it has done for a lot of <laughs> people so far this season. Uh, but yeah kudos to Bowen uh, for getting it going for 45 minutes against Spurs but I don't think it's necessarily something you can expect of of, of those guys just because of their physical stature um, so yeah I think for me it's either a rebrand fix it all change the manager go more possession whatever in the summer or or just get a couple of key pieces in for Moyes and go again um with the style as it is and um, 
and I'd be up for that too. Anyway, um, I, th- I thought that was, I think we did a good job of making that fairly positive ish after a 5 0 loss because we didn't want to, t- you know, come and completely <laughs> ruin everyone's day by whinging endlessly. Um, so thanks for that, Cal. Uh, keeping the, the vague, <laughs> vague hopefulness going throughout all of our criticisms of, of what the team has done over the last week um and um thanks to all the listeners for tuning in uh if you've enjoyed the pod please do head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members to support us and keep us going um we will be back uh, next week um to wrap up another couple of fixtures uh, and i need to speak to you cal about what we're doing over the christmas so i can tell them what we're doing over christmas because <laughs> it all goes a bit mad with the fixtures and it's quite a busy time for people um so we'll sort that out and let you know what the plan is um and then yeah uh, i think cal said that he wants to start to look at january content so when we come back for the next one i think we'll start to to worm that into the pods in a in a, in a way and start to look at players who we think we could be um or should be looking at to, to to add to the squad so that that kind of content will start to come back into the au fold around january and then obviously we'll continue to build on it so we're ready for the summer to to go through all that again and talk about players that we'd like to see join um but yeah thanks for tuning in thanks cal and um come on lines. hopefully we come back to you after a very very big win uh against Freiburg. Sports Social Podcast Network.